In our global economy, securing protection for and enforcing intellectual property rights reaches far beyond any one country's border. Yet there are continual challenges around harmonizing IP practices. One unresolved issue is attorney-client privilege. Innovators want to be certain that their communications with IP counsel, no matter where they are located, are protected. However, U.S. and European courts continue to find that such communications are not automatically immune from discovery. Finnegan attorneys Jennifer Rossetti and Aaron Summers join us now to provide insight into this issue. Jennifer, what is the current state of global attorney-client privilege protection? Well, there is no uniform global attorney-client privilege protection, even though certainly the enforcement of intellectual property rights is a global issue that reaches far beyond any one country's particular border. That said, there is an interest, an overwhelming interest, to harmonize the application of privilege to all communications between a client and their IP practitioners, regardless of where either the client is located or the IP practitioner is located. Everyone wants certainty that their communications at home and abroad are privileged and will be protected from discovery anywhere in the world, regardless of the proceeding. There seems to be no issue when it pertains particularly privileged to communications where you have a U.S. attorney that is admitted to practice law here in the U.S. and a client. Certainly here, the Federal Circuit has stated that a client has a reasonable expectation that all communications that are relating to legal advice concerning patentability and in preparing a patent application will be kept privileged. But the uncertainty seems to arise when it pertains to communications where you have patent professionals that are not admitted to practice law in the U.S. or foreign jurisdictions, for that matter. And one example of those non-attorney professionals are patent agents. And all of those communications are not automatically immune from discovery, and that's especially in the U.S. federal courts. So even though there is this hope that we would have a harmonization of a global attorney-client privilege protection, we are not there yet, even though that is what everyone is hoping for. Jennifer, what does U.S. patent law say about attorney-client privilege between countries? In the U.S., there's really a two-part analysis that's used by U.S. district courts to determine whether there's a foreign patent practitioner-client privilege that exists for those communications. The first part is a choice of law question. And here in the U.S., most of the courts apply what's called the touch-based test to determine whether the communication that's at issue involves or touches base with either U.S. law or the foreign law at issue. In general, once that determination is made, courts will defer to the law of the country that has the most direct and compelling interest, and then they'll look at whether that challenged communication should actually remain confidential in view of that country's law. And one example of this is if you have a patent agent-client communication relating to prosecution of a foreign patent. And if it's relating to the foreign patent application and legal advice about that, foreign patent law will typically govern whether or not the privilege should be maintained. 
Now, the second part of the analysis then is once the court has decided which law to apply, the court must then consider whether that law recognizes an attorney-client or some other evidentiary privilege that then will protect the foreign patent agent-client communication from discovery. This is usually during litigation. Many European jurisdictions require that patent professionals maintain these type of communications in confidence, but they don't always protect those communications from discovery, which is different from the U.S. attorney-client privilege. One other thing to consider is that the foreign law may not either supply any sort of procedural avenue to protect foreign patent agent communications. One example is Swiss law, and it's really unnecessary. Sometimes courts have noted that there's no procedure because the law is really not needed because there is a very limited role of discovery in Swiss litigation. So given all of these moving parts, certainly if you have different U.S. district courts, different foreign laws can lead to different outcomes as to whether or not your communications will remain privileged. And why does this matter? There's the idea that all of your communications as a client that you're having with your IP practitioners around the world, you are expecting that they will remain privileged and private. But if you have a situation in one jurisdiction where privilege is not afforded in one of the countries doing this choice of law test, then it is likely that the communication could be ordered to be produced And then, arguably, that privilege, regardless of the analysis of choice of law, is then waived and the communication is available everywhere. So it's an important issue and certainly a detailed analysis, at least from the U.S. perspective. Erin, do the European Patent Office and Unified Patent Court have rules for IP practitioners regarding attorney-client privilege? And do you foresee changes to European regulations affecting communications with clients outside the EU? Well, the short answer is yes. Both the rules of the EPC, the European Patent Commission, and the Unified Patent Court have rules directed to the privileged nature of a patent practitioner's communications with his or her client. In short, Rule 153 of the EPC didn't always exist, and it was entered into force in April of 2009. And it provides for an evidentiary privilege to protect from disclosure communications between a European patent practitioner and his or her client. And in particular, it covers independent patent practitioners as well as in-house IP professionals because under the U.S.'s two-part analysis, different practitioners, depending on whether they're independent or in-house professionals, can be treated differently under local European law. And it also protects professionals registered to practice before the EPO, so those who are either participating in the prosecution of a patent application or in opposition proceedings before the EPO. What does it protect? Well, Rule 153, the EPC protects communications that relate to the assessment of patentability of an invention, the preparation and prosecution of a European patent application, and it's even broader in that it provides protection for communications relating to any opinion relating to the validity, scope of protection, or even enforcement or infringement issues related to a European patent or patent application. Recently, the UPC, which is the Unified Patent Court, which has not been enacted just yet or entered into practice in Europe, 
has a number of proposed rules of procedure, specifically rules 287 and 288 that are directed to attorney-client privilege. And like EPC 153, these rules broadly protect communications between IP professionals, and it also protects the same types of communications that the EPO rule covers. Now, of course, with respect to the UPC, that is somewhat in question because that was set to be enacted in the not-too-distant future. However, with Brexit, it does raise some questions whether that court will come into being and whether those rules will be enacted. And finally, Erin, how does the current Federal Circuit ruling in NRA Queen's University at Kingston impact this international issue? So, NRA Queen's University is an interesting case in the U.S., and specifically this case concerns the question of whether there is a U.S. patent agent privilege or not in the U.S. What isn't so clear before NRA Queen's University is whether a patent agent, one who is not an attorney but is nonetheless registered to practice before the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, has the benefit of a similar privilege with his or her clients. The specific facts of NRA Queen's are very simple. It was a patent infringement case, and one of the parties was withholding communications between it and its patent agent relating to the prosecution of its patent applications. And the district court ordered the production of those communications, taking the position that there was no attorney-client-like privilege for U.S. patent agents. And the federal circuit concluded that such communications do not need to be produced and that it is within their wheelhouse to recognize evidentiary privileges. And the Federal Circuit reasoned there should be attorney-client-like privilege for U.S. patent agents for several reasons, one of which was that in a Supreme Court case, the Supreme Court recognized that U.S. patent agents are basically practicing law or acting like lawyers before the U.S. Patent Office. They also said that Congress has basically licensed U.S. patent agents to practice before the U.S. Patent Office. And so following all of these reasonings that patent agents hold unique roles whose activities the Supreme Court has construed as constituting the practice of law, and the fact that Congress has authorized that practice basically leads to the conclusion that there should be a patent agent client privilege. Our guests have been Jennifer Rossetti and Aaron Summers, attorneys at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms of the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.